We've been in a series called The Glory of Christmas. And that's what today is. Today is an emotional, spiritual, musical, and we hope word-driven journey. And here's what I want you to bring to mind. I know you're in a building. I know you're surrounded by real people. Behind me are some incredible people. You are about to reap the fruit of all the work they've been putting in for several weeks to prepare to lead you this morning. I recognize that we are in a room filled with reality. But there's another reality. There's a reality of heaven today. There's the picture of the glory of Christ. And we don't see it with our physical eyes. We see it with our spiritual eyes. Eyes. Now, I'm not talking about some form of mysticism or New Age philosophical thinking. I'm talking about the reality of a real God who loves you. And I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't have the privilege of reading into your heart. I see the fruit of many of you and your lives, and I know that there are many in this room who are dedicated to their faith in Christ. Whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus who's been walking with him many years or you're brand new to the faith I promise you there are needs in your life that can only be addressed when you appreciate the glory of God Paul Tripp pastor defined the glory of God this way the doctrine of God's glory encompasses the greatness beauty and perfection of all that he is. I want you to think about that today. I want you to think about his glory in that way. It matters so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the scripture says you are the radiance of the glory of God. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we pray that we would see, sense, and feel your glory in this place. And that you would allow us to leave here with our spiritual eyes and to appreciate all that you are. And that God, having given glory and honor to you, you would meet us where we are, you would minister to us, and you would prepare our hearts for a great week of celebrating the greatest gift that's ever been given, your son Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. And God's people said, amen. The glory of Christmas is the story of his love. When we love people, we think about what we want to get them for Christmas. Have any of you been on that journey the last few days of trying to find that perfect Christmas gift? I lost my mind yesterday and decided to come to town. Pouring rain the Saturday before Christmas. I was not walking in the wisdom of the Lord. I actually took my kids to see a movie, but I decided to duck into one store and only one store. I left that store and got in my wife's van and rededicated my life to Jesus for my attitude in that store. I've, I've never seen so many people hunting hard for the perfect gift of Christmas. You know, there's no better analogy to describe the coming of Christ. 
The birth of Christ is the greatest gift we've ever received. And if you think about it, there's just nothing else the Lord could have given us any greater for the scripture teaches us who God is. In fact, God the Son, Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Condensed in that power-packed verse is the fact that God's glory can be believed. But God's glory is not only believed, God's glory blesses us. It is the perfect gift. Have you ever seen something so unique? maybe so startling, so difficult, that the only thing you can do is muster up one word to respond to it. If someone says something, then you agree with it. If someone's speaking some truth, you'll say, amen, amen. If you grew up where I'm from, you might follow the amen with, I heard that. I don't know what that means, but if I ever said something that someone agreed with, they'd go, I hear that, I heard that. And then my grandmother would say, Amen. Her grandmother added H to it. Hey, man. And there are times when we receive some news that's so startling, we might say, goodness, goodness gracious. Maybe we hear of some tragedy in someone's life and, and we find ourselves going, mercy, mercy, mercy. We may even formulate a question, Lord, help them. Lord, be with them. And yet when I think about the perfect gift of Christmas, I think about that one word response. Glory. Glory. At times we just return to him what he has so graciously revealed to us. His glory revealed. All we can do is say, ooh, glory. Last week we unpacked Paul's treatment of the gift of Jesus to the church in Ephesus. I don't know if you remember that passage in the book of Ephesians. Paul writes, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul says, Jesus is not just a guy who delivered words. He himself is our peace. And when I really let that sink in, all I can say, church, is glory. It gets even better in verse 15. How did he do it? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. In a world so divided, black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, in Paul's world, a world of Jew and Gentile, Jesus came and by his fulfillment of the law, he said, no, no, no. All of you are just one. You're just one. One human race in need of a Savior. And then he could make peace for us because he himself is our peace. And when I look at that and contrast it with all the division of the world, it makes such beautiful sense and clarity where there is chaos. And I find myself saying, glory. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, 
And Jesus might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. And the great irony of the cross is mentioned in the last phrase of verse 16. Thereby killing the hostility. The cross itself was an instrument of death. You did not go to a cross and live to tell about it. And so the world thought they were killing Jesus. What they didn't know is that Jesus was killing sin. And when we see him have a reckoning with the wrath of God, yet displaying the grace of God, and I personalize that and I think about the weight of my sin, gone, forgiven, never to be held against me again, all I can say is glory. Paul keeps piling it on, verse 17, and he came and preached peace. God is not some distant, mysterious force. He came in flesh and blood and preached peace with our words to you who were far off and peace to those who were near glory. Verse 18, for through him we both, Jew and Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, young, old, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, a God I could not even grace with my presence because my presence is a presence of unrighteousness has invited me in I and every person in Christ has access through the gift of Christmas you can speak to the Father I hope you have I spoke to him this morning glory Paul ends this thought as he began in verse 19 so then you You are no longer strangers and aliens. This is the reality of a Christian. But you are a fellow citizen with the saints and members of the household of God. And then in verse 20, he goes on to say, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So you were once an alien. You were once a stranger. But now Christ has pulled you in, made you a citizen, set a place at the table for you in the family of God and joined you with the body of believers that will never die to rule and to reign with him under his lordship. And to that we say glory. The choir's warmed up. You better get warmed up. But you know, I've enjoyed just a little rhetoric this morning, a rhetorical prize from what I said to glory, but One man's glory is often not enough. Remember what happened the night Jesus was born? Remember what happened when the angels appeared to the shepherds and they pronounced the good news of Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Luke tells us in the 14th verse of the second chapter of his gospel, they broke out in song, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. One man's glory is not enough when we see the glory of the risen son. When we realize that a virgin gave birth to the sinless son of God, all we can say is a sinless life and die a sacrificial death being raised to life on the third day to rule and reign forevermore and that same risen Lord wants to live in you for you to walk in the newness of life
Church family, you may be seated. Let me tell you a scenario that's going to play out in your life if you have children in your home. Christmas Day, about 11 o'clock, you will collapse. You'll be exhausted. You'll be tired. Bloodshot eyes. Not on your second cup of coffee, on your second pot of coffee. And some of you have family members that have the gall to ask you to be somewhere by lunch on Christmas Day. And there's a time clock ticking in your mind about all the things that have to happen for you to get your kids into a vehicle with matching shoes and undergarments on and get somewhere. And along about that time, a fight will break out. You'll see paper flying. And children will be making terrible noises, expressing the demon possession that so often comes in their life when we play into the materialistic celebration of the provision of God. And here's the word of the fight. It is an English word for you and me, but there is an equal translation in every language of every culture. It is a word that in the history of the spoken word has never had to be taught to any child whatsoever. It is the word mine, M-I-N-E. Now we have to teach the words like share, take turns, be patient, sit quietly, play Nice. Love Bubba or Sissy. But you never have to teach the word mine. And that morning, all of the children in your home are enjoying the gifts that you and Santa Claus has provided for them. And you do this because you love them. And yet at some point in the middle of that tussle, when you have an argument they don't see as to who gets to break up the fight they do see, you set them down and you say, listen, I know it's yours. You just unwrapped it. It had your name on it. We want you to enjoy it. But because it's yours, no one's going to take it away. You can play with it the rest of the day and you will play with it the rest of the year or at least as long as it lasts, which for some will be about a week. But you also have to share. And later on, when your cousins come, you really have to share. You have to pray in the spirit when the cousins show up. And you have to share what you have been given. And you understand, and you're having this conversation, that we share because it is the right thing to do. And some of you who are trying to implement the development of a Christ consciousness in your parenting would go so far as to say, We share what we have because none of it really belongs to us. And everything in our life is given to us by God who has so graciously shared with us his love, his provision, his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. And if you say that to your children, not only are you not correct, you are being effective at parenting them to develop a conscience before the Lord. But there is one thing God says he will not share. As good and as loving and as kind 
and as gracious and as merciful and as sharing as he is, God never has to share his glory. Because he and he alone is God. Some who question the word of God balk at statements about God being jealous for his worship. About God demanding that all bring glory and honor to him. About God painting a picture of the future eternity where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But I don't want a God who doesn't deserve all the glory. I I want a God who is omnipotent. I want a God who is omniscient. I want a God who is omnipresent. That means there is no place he is not, for he is not like you and me. He is spirit. There is nothing he does not know, and there is no knowledge that does not come from him. And there is no power outside of him because he holds and possesses all power. And even the limited amount of authority the enemy has on this side of his second coming is coming to an end. And so there's never a time when he has not been. There's never a time where he will not be. There is never a place where he cannot penetrate, and there is nothing he cannot do. And if that is all of who he is, then not only does he deserve all the glory, he doesn't have to share. This is why Paul said in the book of Ephesus to the Ephesian believers, Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him, not to you, not to me, not to our movement, not to our church, not to our doctrinal beliefs, not to the things that we hold dear, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. To him belongs the glory. And you and I need to remember that. And when we remember it, Christmas will take on such a deeper, more powerful place in our heart this week. Church, you may be seated. As you take your seats, I want you to listen to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place, Matthew adds, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I love this book. I believe every word of it. 
I can tell you there have been times in my life, I'm sure for the faithful in this room, there are times in your life where the words of this book were all you could depend on and his word is enough. I love to read it. I love to think about it. I love to discuss it. Many of you know I love to preach it. I believe it from cover to cover, and I'll even make a strong argument that the maps are inspired. And this book is filled with amazing miracles. God speaks, and creation exists. Moses raises his hand, and the Red Sea splits. A man named Noah built a boat, and while the world was being destroyed, his family was being saved. The Nile River at one point was turned to blood instantly. A man named Jonah ran from God and ended up in a fishy situation. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Signs and wonders and angelic beings, burning bushes, and the audible voice of God from heaven. They are miraculous. And yet the greatest miracle recorded is something I can touch and see. Something I can relate to. I've never seen a burning bush. I've never seen the audible voice of God. I often tell people, if you want to hear God speak out loud, read your Bible out loud. I've never been visited by an angel. I've never been given a, a vision the way those who received the word of God were given a vision. Sure, the Lord is directed and guided. And yes, I've seen him do some amazing things. But there are some things in this scripture that I have not yet experienced or seen. And I believe I probably won't see until the Lord returns. But I've seen a baby be born. I've counted little fingers and little toes. I've seen a baby be wrapped and handed to its mother. I've watched that amazing moment of bonding that takes place as she pulls the child close to her bosom. I've seen families rejoice on their gotcha day as they pick up that child from an organization or an orphanage. I've watched families in our church roll their sleeves up and do the hard work of getting engaged in foster care and bringing a child into their home. Living, breathing, active children. And the greatest miracle of all of Scripture is that the God of all wonders, the God of mystery, the God of grandeur, the God of Red Sea splitting, the God of raising people from the dead, of healing the lepers, of cleansing those who are ill, of causing the blind to see and the lame to walk, the God who spoke creation into existence, that God became a baby. Real people held him. A real woman gave birth to him. And they watched him. In fact, they not only watched him, the scripture says that he grew in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And I, I think about how relatable that is for you and for me. And I know that the Christ child is the intersection of the deity of God and the humanity of men. 
Jesus, though he was born just like you and me, was not conceived like you and I. For any person, man or woman, conceived of the union of a man or a woman is conceived with that sin nature that comes all the way down from Adam and Eve. This is why the virgin birth is so important. It's why we will never move off of it. We believe it was a miracle that God became flesh in the womb of a faithful woman and that through her body, he stepped into our reality. And there it was. There he was. And then I think about what do you do with a baby? <laughs> well, you raise him. See, his family raised him first. That's what the scripture teaches. His family raised him first. He grew in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. In fact, people recognized his stature and his wisdom. They raised him. Mary took care of him. Joseph provided for him. His brothers and sisters played with him, no doubt. His family raised him first. But then my failures raised him second. The scripture says he was raised up and strung up on the cross. And he even said, when you raise me up, I'll draw men to myself. My sin crucified Jesus. My failures raised him second. But I want you to know I rose to tell you this morning. His father raised him last. His father raised him last. So just when we thought death had won, the spirit of the living God raised Jesus to life, never to die again, never to experience an earthly birth or life again, but to live forever. Not as if he abandoned his humanity. No, no, no. In fact, in heaven today is the God-man, Jesus, in the flesh and blood, and yet fully God. He still wears in heaven today the scars on his hand, his side, and his feet. When John saw it in the great revelatory of Scripture, he says, I saw a lamb as having been slain. I believe when I see him that day. When I finally lay eyes on him, I will no doubt see him in all of his glory, but I will see the nail-pierced hands, the feet, the side. And he will be a reminder of me and of all those who are redeemed of what it cost to get us here. And you know the cool thing about that? Is that without the closing of the story, Christmas is nothing more than a sentimental, emotional journey. But there's one more raising that's going to take place. His family raised him first. My failures raised him second. His father did raise him last. And for every person who believes upon that, he will raise them up on the last day. We will be raised to life, and I believe very soon, and we will experience the resurrection. Some of you will celebrate Christmas this year for the first time without a loved one. Others of you, it might not be your first Christmas without a loved one who passed away too soon in your heart, but every Christmas is a reminder. Still, some of you are facing the sick and the elderly in your family, and you wonder, is this their last Christmas? I want to be very careful not to take our cultural celebration of the birth of Jesus and read it into the lens of eternity. But the Scripture teaches us that there is a constant celebration of the risen Lord going on in heaven. I don't know. My imagination runs a million miles in a million different directions. I don't know what it might be like, but I know this. 
as sweet as Christmas is here, it cannot touch the reality of the celebration of the Christ child in heaven who is now a risen king. So for those of you who have someone who's already gone on before you, for those of you who are facing the reality of perhaps losing someone this year, I want you to remember that hymns are not just for humans on earth. There's a hymn of heaven. There's a hymn of heaven that it's saying for you and for me. And we ought to long for that hymn in our life. And we ought to celebrate in knowing that our loved ones who know Christ have a far greater Christmas experience than we could ever imagine. Be comforted in that. As we prepare to end our celebration, I have one question. I believe that God has been glorified in this room this morning. But we don't get the privilege, you and I, of living in a service like this. Right out those doors and those doors and those doors is your life and my life. And yet the scripture says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. In fact, it is his glory that transforms us to be more like him, beginning first with our salvation and then continually through what the Bible teaches us is our sanctification. It's a spiritual transformation that can be seen in the life that we live, the decisions we make, the choices we choose, the relationships we nurture. Paul made the connection between God's glory and our change to the Corinthian believers. He said, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I hope you felt that this morning. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, I was correct earlier when I told you he does not share his glory in as much as no one else deserves to be worshiped and praised. But his glory should be shared through our life in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know that you know you're ready for the second coming. My brother and my sister just sang so beautifully about the greatest gift you could ever extend to us as a church is to let us talk with you about having a relationship with Christ. When we conclude, there's a prayer room in the concourse and incredible men and women are waiting there to have a confidential conversation with you about how you can come to know Christ. There is no greater gift you could ever give the Lord than the gift of your own heart that he died to redeem if you will receive him. The scripture says, anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith will be saved. You're not unsavable this morning, but you can leave here lost if you don't receive him. And for many of you who've made that decision, like me, you know that you've trusted Christ. You have the confidence of being saved. Like me, have you felt there are areas 
where you can bring more glory to God? I, I know that you came to a Christmas service this morning, but why couldn't it be a revival service too? We are to be a people who when we brush up against the glory of God, we want to repent. We want to turn from anything that would not honor him and turn back to him. How could I not want to walk in the newness of life that this glorious God has offered after we have experienced this morning what he has so richly blessed us with? And so would you go out in this Christmas week and would you live and love and speak and choose to live lives that bring glory and honor to him? I hope and pray you will. If there's a need in your life, don't leave this campus without speaking with one of our pastors or any member of our counseling team in our prayer room. You know, the good news is, the good news is that when we see the glory of God, do you know the emotional seat that takes place in our heart? Joy. Joy. You cannot brush up against the glory of God and not be filled with the joy of Christmas. Joy so good that we sing joy to the world.